Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, a podcast from the Business Centre where we talk about all things small business. I'm Josh Angus, a Business Connect advisor at the Business Centre. Business Connect is a dedicated program funded by the New South Wales Government and delivered through a network of independent service providers to help you start or grow your small business. We're talking about cybersecurity, what it is, its impact on small businesses, and what you can do to protect yourself, your business, and your clients. Data breaches are happening more often, cyber criminals are getting craftier, and the amount of compromised data is increasing rapidly. Another uncomfortable fact is that most companies are completely unprepared for breaches, even though they're becoming more commonplace by the day. It's crucial for businesses to be proactive about cybersecurity and put protective measures in place before disaster strikes. 2020 was a year of uncertainty, and with sudden adjustments, some organisations have responded well to the challenges and others maybe not. However, the new normal is here to stay for a while. So how can small and medium businesses in Australia prepare themselves for data security in 2021 and beyond? To understand how to protect your business from cyber attack, I'm joined by cybersecurity experts Ted Egan and David Gordon. Ted, you grew up in Western New South Wales, and how did you end up founding what became a global cybersecurity firm, Threat Matrix and, and Trust Defender? And you know, how, how did you go from far western New South Wales to, to that? How did you get into cybersecurity? It started in back of Burke. Grew up on a, a property in the outback, and um, I guess where my career sort of started was, um, you know, I, I had a number of uncles who were in the Air Force, and they kind of talked me into various different things. I wanted to join the Navy, so I decided that, you know, when I was old enough, I'd go and join the Navy. And, and that sort of took me down the technical sort of end and onto a submarine and, and the, the rest is history. I sort of got that, that sort of liking to what goes on behind the scenes, on, especially on submarines and all the technology and so forth. And uh, it led me into, I left the Navy after uh, a decade. Uh, went on to work in the advertising industry for a very short time. Mm. And then we founded, um, I helped some other guys found another company called KidsNet, which is safe internet access for kids and families. And that was really to, because the internet was really the Wild West then. And uh, there was a lot of very bad stuff on the internet. Um, and we developed, you know, some of the, the first, like everyone knew about NetNanny back then, but it wasn't online, it was on a CD. So we developed the first ever online sort of version of uh, NetNanny. Went on after that years. We got I got out of that and just prior to 2000, that went on to uh, I worked in the tech, the industry around working for Intel and HP Consulting and various companies. And then we later on we founded Trust Defender. And the reason Trust Defender uh, came about was because. When we looked at security and antivirus and everything, the average everyday person had no idea what security was. Mm. They knew about security. They knew they had to have an antivirus solution. They had no idea what to look for from malware to compromised computers. Um, and Do you think that's changed much to now that people are more aware? Wow, well, it's funny. And the same conversations we were having in 2004, 2005, they were still having today. And it really showed me that, you know, after mil uh, building uh, a billion dollar business and growing it around the globe, mm. we were still talking about the same things. So, um, you know, the, the people still have problems. People don't really know. The average everyday person at home, the business user, the mm. corporate, has um, very little knowledge of what to look for. There is a lack of training. 
um, awareness training. Not so much technical training, but just awareness of what to look for. Um, businesses um, don't really have a plan. So what do they do if, mm. if they're confronted by, by a ransomware attack or malware on their computer? Mm. Um, and even if they do have a plan, it's put in the drawer and never looked at again. So they don't go and revisit those plans. So, and it's important that you revisit those plans every six to 12 months, even if you've got the right security posture in the first place. We'll circle back and come back and mm. do a bit more of a deep dive into that as well. And so David, you're founder of, of a local cybersecurity firm, Novacastrian Cybersecurity yep. Solutions. Solutions, yep. Again, you know, what got you into that, into that space? Well, I think um, for those people who, who grew up what I did, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, so we had stone tablets and clay to, uh, to send messages, so it was uh, quite archaic. But as I grew up, I, I fell in love with uh, Star Trek and, and all this technology, you know, that, that's going to be there. So when computers came along, I, th I was a kid in the candy shop, so mm. I really got into uh, writing software using DOS, my first computer was a, a VZ200 with a tape, with a cassette tape. I could actually it. load it up, and it would take 10 to 15 minutes to load up a game. Then I could play the game, and it was, you know, it was fantastic. Then I, I joined the Air Force, and, and that just boosted that entire. Um, it's interesting, genre. you've both come from a military yeah. background and ended up. And I think it's the security, security aspect of, mm -hmm. of, and we both have that security training. I got out of the Air Force, and I. I actually watched a Robert Redford movie called Sneakers. You, you may remember it, and they were hackers, you know, breaking in. And I thought, wouldn't that be a great job? Wouldn't it be great? So I built, if you like, in 1993, I built this model, this business model around breaking into people's businesses, whether computer or physically. And um, unfortunately, it didn't go anywhere. It was a bit too early in Australia. So I, was, I got into uh, managed services. I got into healthcare. And I really started to notice that security was not a big part of, of what people did. They had a username and a password, but you just had that on, written down on a piece of paper on the back of the keyboard, it didn't matter. Mm. Everyone knows that password, everyone knows that username. But we then, in the early 2000s, we started to realise that security was a, a, a critical part of what we did. Um, so that's when I really started to kick into gear and start to push. So every uh, IT manager's job that I took on, one of my jobs was to increase security, put the best security we could with the money that we had, put that in place so that people's information could be safe. You know? And as it evolved, um, I got into MSP, into managed service providers. Their sort of take on security wasn't quite my take. So I was always trying to get them to go a little bit further, a little bit further. And then I thought, it's probably time that I did the cyber security thing. So I came back from Sydney, came back to Newcastle and opened up Novacastrian IT, which is now Novacastrian Cyber Solutions. And it's been an amazing uh, run because I've found that regional Australia, they have this need for cyber security. Everyone knows what it is but there's not enough expertise or not enough people going out there doing the education, as, as Ted said, doing that education, which is critical to the success of any business or, or any, anyone at all, to at least you can deal with 80% of any sort of 
possible breaches can be dealt with at the computer, like the person sitting behind the keyboard. The other 20% we can take care of, or at least fortify so that we can we can help you take care of those things. Mm. But that was what drove me into to wanting to uh, to really build a cybersecurity company. And I think one of my first big clients that I went to see, their patching, that for instance, if you patch your computers, that 99.9% patch to one person, that's all he did all day was patch, patch, patch. And I thought, wow, the guy must be a lunatic <laughs> by now, but he wasn't. But we then did a vulnerability scan, an internal vulnerability scan. We came up with close to 700 vulnerabilities. So we've got someone that sole job is to patch computers, make sure they're secure, make yep. sure everything is safe. Yep. And yet there's still 700 vulnerabilities yep. where a cyber attack could take place. Correct. They've got entry. Yep. Create your own big bang and see your business idea come to life. Our online course, Start Your Own Business, helps you learn the basics in marketing, compliance, modelling and small business finances. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, you can use the code BIGBANG to access the Start Your Own Business course online for free at businesscentre.com.au. So, I mean, the, the statistics are quite frankly frightening on, on just how many cyber attacks there are daily around the world, within Australia, you know, something along the lines of 70% of, of small businesses have experienced a, a, an attempted cyber attack, whether successful or not, but an attempt, which I think really highlights the importance of making sure your security is up to scratch. You know, we've, we've got uh, client data, client information, credit card details potentially, um, staff information, sensitive information, and we've got to make sure that we protect that. So where would you say to people that you talk to about small businesses, where should they start? If they don't have a cybersecurity plan right now, they maybe just have uh, antivirus software and they're, and they're small, right? Mm. And they feel like, the, who's gonna attack me? I'm a small business, maybe one or two employees, maybe none. Where should they be starting? In, in my opinion is they need to get advice. If, if mm. they don't really know, go and, go, and, go and ring someone who is a specialist in that area mm. and get that advice. Yes, get that advice, put in place a plan. I know that, you know, it sounds a pretty simple thing to do, but mm. put in place a plan. But in that plan, you will um, have processes like uh, cultural training. So what to be aware of. You know, we talk about, you know, 70, 80% of businesses have these attacks, but most times people don't really know they've had the attacks mm. until it's too late. Correct. Um, and, you know, the, the highlight of ransomware attacks of recent times, ransomware attacks happen after they've been attacked. So mm. they've been sitting there idle, collecting all the information, encrypting the, the systems logs or the databases, and um, you know, and then they have the attack, mm. and then that that's that's too late. What's the timeline from from being compromised to then having that attack? Look, statistics at the moment are saying around you could have someone sitting in your network or ransomware sitting there for anything up to 300 days, mm. so nearly a year. So if someone's sitting in your network, they're either exfiltrating data out, you don't even know it. If there's ransomware, they're just waiting for the right time after they've turned off your backups that give you success because they're only backing up one file, mm. so you're not really checking them. So there's a whole, there's a lot of planning. Remember, these are cyber criminals. They're organised crime, they're not disorganised crime. And they will make sure that when the ransom needs to be paid, you've got no way 
of getting back to where you are. But there are simple things that you can put in place. And, and I think one of the first things I find when I go and talk to a client is I ask them about security awareness training, first thing. And I'm happy if someone, if someone takes us on and says, hey, look, can you come and do that? Sure, we'll come and help you plan. We'll actually come in and, and do the cybersecurity training as part of what we do. Because I, I'm a firm believer that if, you, if people know what they're looking for, mm. they're going to feel a lot more comfortable. And plus, if, they, if you have this culture, this security culture, people are not going to feel frightened to step up and go, hey, I think I might have clicked on a link I shouldn't have. Interestingly, people subliminally, uh, once you've done the training, you're subliminally looking for things that you're not really looking for and you're yes. identifying threats and you, you know you see that link coming in the email which you would have normally clicked on you would have um, and subliminally it tells you you know in the back of your brain you don't click on it anymore mm. or you go and get advice or you advise whoever's looking after your security to have a look at it these are important things to do but you know I'll take it one step backwards every business is a digital business whether you connect to your business using your mobile phone or you connect to the business using your laptop or whichever. You interact with your customers online. So it's very important that you have customers coming in online and they're able to browse uh, catalogs, they're able to put in orders, they're able to um, make purchases, pay, pay invoices, all those things online. So you are... Um, a digital business, regardless of whether you're a small business and the smallest of small businesses have a digital footprint in some way or form, you have an email address, mm. okay? Or you're on a chat through an app. So you need to remember that you are a digital business and you need to put in place practices. And if you don't know the ins and outs of cybersecurity, it's worth talking to people and talking to experts. Can we trust that the, the data that we're collecting and, and moving through, through third-party providers, is sufficiently secure? You know, Stripe or PayPal for payments, you know, uh, WhatsApp for, for messaging, or even Facebook Messenger for particularly some uh, micro-businesses. You know, can we trust that the information that we're sharing across third-party providers is safe? Do we have a responsibility to ensure safety there as a small business owner? So, you do yes. have a responsibility. However, you know, when you sign up to these uh, third-party providers, you are signing an agreement with them. There is a terms and conditions, which you probably should read. I advise everyone to read their T's and C's. I like reading T's and C's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you've got to sign contracts all the time, you've, you should read your T's and C's. But the point is, these businesses wouldn't be in business if they didn't put in place their own cybersecurity practices. But you always check, ask, just ask the provider to provide, you know, what happens to my data? Where, where is it stored? How is it stored? How is the data stored at rest? How is the data uh, stored in transit or TLS? What sort of encryption standards do they, is it AES standard? Mm. Um, what standard are they applying to my data? There are quite a few things that you should look at. And this is, again, where you should have your expert come in and, and take a look. Um, furthermore, you know, you look at your, what are your best practices to put in place. It's, you know, 
we talked about uh, backups and so mm, forth. We have, yes. So I'm, I'm a firm believer to put in like a father-son strategy when it comes to backups, where you have your, you might do your daily, weekly backup, and you'll do a monthly backup, and you'll store them separately. So different backups stored different places? Yes, mm. yeah. And the reason that is, is that you give yourself some sort of ability to to maybe breach the 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 period in which the uh, ransomware or a threat was uh, embedded into your system. So then you can restore it back to a week ago, a day ago, a month ago, and yeah. your data will be, you know, yeah. maybe you're missing a little bit, but most of your data is and not compromised. Yeah. What a lot of people do is because they, when you're starting a small business, many times you'll use a third party mm. to provide the security capabilities you can't, or provide you, or you outsource your database, you outsource mm. your how you do your payments to a third party. When you grow bigger, you'll start implementing your um, IDS, IDPS, um, so systems, and that's basically to uh, detect uh, threats and prevent threats. Um, and then maybe as you get larger, you might uh, invest in a SIEM. Um, so a SIEM is a, so you can manage multiple different applications on your network rather than one. So these are the different stages of your business and you you can outsource all that to third parties, but you need to make sure that you check what are the checks and balances to make sure that they're not going to be compromised. And you need to be satisfied that they have uh, put in place all the best practices themselves if you're not doing it yourself internally. Right. Do you have a business idea, but you're not sure it'll work? We have small business toolboxes and expert business advisors to support and guide you through your startup process. Contact us via our website to find out how. Businesscentre.com.au. So we've all mentioned having a plan. I think the thing about a plan is you can know that you need to make a plan. You know you need to make a plan about cybersecurity, uh, but you don't know where to start. What is you know the starting is the plan, right? But what is the first step to the plan? I mean, businesses on a budget may not be able to afford or may not think they can afford a cybersecurity firm to come in and consult with them and advise them through it. So micro businesses and small businesses, startups, where do they, where do they start? What's the top three things I guess they have to get done? Look, I, I, I agree with Ted. The first thing you want to do is talk to an expert. That's, and that's one of the things that we do is we talk to our clients first because we need to know where they feel the gaps are Mm. And then once we get a better feel, we can then start to talk to them about a plan. Okay, they might say to us, you know, I don't really, I only back up once a week. You say, okay, well, that's that's definitely on my list. You know, so just from a conversation, we can sort out what they need to do. Now, we could say, this is what you need to do. If you're happy to do that, there you go. Mm. You know, go and implement that. There is lots and lots of information on the internet. It's a great place to find what steps to take. But I always come back to, but your job is not cyber security. Your job is to run your business and you know, sell your product or sell your services. Our job is to, is to advise and help people with their cyber security. And I think that's a, a big thing. So you, whatever you can afford, 
we can normally just fit in around what we can do to, to help out. So to me, first thing is that conversation needs to take place. Because I think if you go onto the internet and you try and read through everything about cybersecurity and you're going to implement it, you're going to, ha- you're going to be overloaded, mm. significantly overloaded with what this thing is. What Do I need to get some sort of ISO certification thingy or don't I? You know, so those are the sorts of questions that uh, we could normally answer. Um, I'd go a little bit further in saying that, uh, yes, the internet has a lot of information out there, so it's, it's worth doing your own research. Yes. You know, when you're putting a plan together, research it. Okay, get the advice, research the information. Have a look at the basics. I mean, we talked about training. Yes. Um, there's lots of videos that you can watch on the internet. Mm. You know, it's cheap. It's free YouTube's in most cases, place. Yes. Um, and you can you can watch what the some of these videos. Um, so you're implementing a cultural approach to it, to changing the culture, sub, subliminal uh, culture within your business to know what to look for. Um, when you get a little bit serious, you you want to implement proper training. Um, you know what is fishing, what is farming, what are these links that come in. What is uh, what you know? People will refer to as CEO fraud, where the CEO pays the pays the uh, the bills, and he shouldn't have paid the bills because he just clicked on it and thought he was paying the what he was told to by the CFO yeah. or the whoever pays your whoever's your finance manager said prove it, and you proved it, and you just paid out a hundred grand, which would sink your business if you're a small business. Absolutely. Once you've done those sort of little basic things, make sure your backups are put in place. Um, you, you know, there's no correct answer to everything, but mm. there is a there is a process by which you would put those backups in place. Um, there's quite a few other things that you would do, but th- there are three base things that you do. The one thing I'll say about a plan, if you do have a plan, don't just put it in the drawer. You no. have to come back. The technology, the it has to be a living document. Right? Yeah, constantly review. Technology and threats are changing at such a rate, and you read mm. about it in the paper every day. And even the most sophisticated corporations are being stung. Mm. You know, we're looking at what happened to um, the the pipeline company, oil pipeline, um, Colorado, Colonial, Colonial yeah. in the in the US. I mean that you would think they would they supply probably 45% of the east coast of America's um, petroleum, um, avgas, and so forth. There's certainly been some some major, huge uh, companies that have had devastating impacts. Well, agriculture you know, here, lately. JBS, mm. yes, JBS, Australian, uh, you know, uh, a global company with um, operations targeted here in Australia. Yeah, and there was a there was a Norwegian, uh, I think it was Norwegian energy company. Uh, and they turned off water treatment and, and water plants and yes. affected 80% of the population. So, I mean, these are these are huge organisations that they're going after. Um, some and of these them... are ones that have spent a lot of money on cyber security. Yes. These are people who have put in place practices, but people get sloppy. So, hence, hence why you um, tend to um, revisit these plans over and over again, making sure that even if you have the guy that sits there doing the patching, yeah, that's right. That you make sure you do your pen testing, pen testing, so penetration testing. Right. So normally, um, you know, I'm a, it doesn't matter what you are. Like every business that I've been in, even though that we've had our own internal uh, people to write our software, we have our own QA, 
we, we've got all those things implemented. Um, we always went outside to have a third party, um, someone who could come in and have a look and try and break what we just built or the security settings. And we would use that data that we'd learn to actually, and then we would rectify those, those weaknesses so that basically you were, it's a blinker effect. So what happens when you're um, running a business? You think you've got everything covered and it doesn't matter how good you think you are. And you might have all the checks and balances, but there's always places where you've got blinkers, where you don't see the, the threats. I think you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. Can't, you can't you know, know about something that you don't understand. And I think the more awareness there is, and, and David, you talked about education. I think yeah. that's so crucial in this it space. It is. And I, I think one Sorry. of the things too that, uh, that and, and sort of going on from what Ted was saying, is that with our clients, one of the things we don't do for our clients is we do not do pen testing. We will engage a third party because we would simply be testing what we do. Mm. And I mean, who's not going to be biased? But, but we will always engage a third party to test our clients. We do not use ourselves. We'll pen test for other people, but we don't use them on our clients. Mm. And I think one of the things too is that you have your external pen testing, see if someone can get in and penetrate your network, but you've got to make sure that the internal vulnerability scanning is done as well because that's where you will discover your out of 150 PCs, you may have six or 700 other vulnerabilities that um, are not able to be patched, you know, so. And accidents happen or exactly. people, you, you can have the best intentions mm. in your business, but accidents happen. And all it is is just to make sure that those accidents don't happen. And, and it's not to, to have any attack on any people. It's, it's basically just to make sure the, your business posture or your security posture is maintained at the highest level possible. So with, with people now working in this hybrid model of work from home, work from the office, some are not returning to the office, some are you know, doing this hybrid, we're seeing more and more bring your own device. Most of us now, uh, particularly in the white collar sector, but also even in trades, have work mobile phones. Again, sometimes a bring your own device. What about vulnerabilities there? How does a business manage vulnerabilities from a device that's not theirs? Yeah, um, just quickly, just to you, um, <coughs> years ago I was asked to write a BYOD policy mm. and um, I said to them, so bring your own disaster because that's what I felt because it was a school Mm -hmm. And they were going to let the kids bring their own laptops and their own iPads. And I was just thinking that you got this cartoon image of, of all these grubs and things just crawling through the, you know, the malware just waiting to come onto your network. So that was quite, a, it, it was of concern then. And for me, it's still of concern because you need to make sure that people are patching, they're running the AV that is approved by you. There's got to be some, because it's, even though it's their asset, the data assets are yours. And that's what you've got to start to look at. What experience have you had with that, Ted? You... I think there's a minimum standard that you've got to apply. Mm. Um, you can't have people having completely unauthenticated, um, insecure devices coming in or jailbroken mobile phones and so forth coming in and then connecting to your network. And 
you need to make sure that there, there is a minimum standard applied by, by your business, no matter if it's a small business or a large business. Um, and then you've got to police it. Mm. You know, there, there needs to be a way of policing it uh, to ensure that there is no vulnerability that you have now opened up in your business that you've spent all your money and effort and time and culturally changing um, internally to ensure you have the best security uh, practices in place. And then you have your staff working from home. I, I gotta say, COVID-19 was a game changer for a lot of businesses. There was a lot of businesses who would tell you they were a very digital business and they could, you know, they were up to date and everything. And then, you know, for three or four months after March, yes. Um, there is a scramble. They're still mm. scrambling today. Mm. And, and so there, there needs to be a, a posture applied to your staff when they're working from home. You know, Harvey Norman did a great, you know, every computer store was run out of cables and things like that. But you know, there was also the firewall issue, the, the routers, yeah. the, um, and, and what type of security, are they able to validate the security of the mobile device um, or the um, the laptop that is being taken home, mm. and can they connect through a secure VPN? Bringing up VPN, I think, brings up an interesting thing as well, mm. right? Because if your organisation runs on a VPN in the office or in the workspace, but then you at home on your home network are not connecting through that VPN, can you, I guess, pick up? Uh, malware on your device, on your home network or on a public network or, you know, at the cafe or something like this, uh, particularly with this hybrid work model. And then when you come back into the office connecting into the VPN, are you then potentially breaching the whole office's network? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to me that seems really concerning. <laughs> the more I talk to you guys, the more I get concerned. I mean. We, we particularly, you know, we go out and see clients all over the place. We might connect to a, to a, a Wi-Fi at a cafe and people do this all the time. It's shopping centres and cafes and restaurants, um, their home network, you know, clicking on the wrong link, not even knowing something's gone wrong, you know, can sit on my device for 300 days and then infiltrate the whole organisation. Yeah. So it really, really speaks to that, making sure you've got the backups, making sure you've got the security up, yep. to, up to scratch. I think one of the things, particularly when it comes to free Wi-Fi, is how free is it really? Mm. And it's unfortunate that uh, hackers, people who don't, who, who are quite nefarious in what they do, they will sit there, they can sit there with a, a laptop, they can do what they call a man in the middle attack, they can be the Wi-Fi point, you hook into them, they then put you onto the free, and they're in the middle, Mm. And they'll start to exfiltrate data off and then put their stuff on. And this is the dangers you have with free Wi-Fi. The other one too is that um, all those lovely cables at the airport gives that you know you can plug your phone into and you can yes, charge up. Yeah, That's yeah. great. I think in the United States um, there was a PowerPoint that people would plug into and behind that was a chip and the guy simply sat there as people plugged in, they just exfiltrated data off their iPhones, off everything that came through that USB. Mm. So, you know, you've got to be so wary. I mean, there are companies who do not allow you to charge your phone on their power at all. You can't even take a phone into there and just, I want to just charge up. No, you're not, you can't do that. You can't charge your phone. So 
people are becoming very savvy with what they do and how they do it. But yes, you're right. As soon as you take your laptop back in to work and there's no checking of that security posture or those sorts of things, that's where you start running into trouble. I think in small business, it's more an issue. You do see it in big corporations. I know when I when we sold through metrics to our new owners, I guess one of the things was that, you know, what was my biggest fear? And my biggest fear was, was, uh, was the company that bought us, was did they have the same security standards of us or better? And I did notice that, that you know, they did apply different standards after we came on board because you know, the issue was that we kind of, you know, threat metrics was about validating, verify, authenticating every piece of data. We'd profile a device. We'd look at a device at over eight or 900 different attributes on the device. We'd look for anomalies. Mm. Um, that technology um, was not used by everyone in the world, but we would build it. We had thousands of banks using our technology, large e-commerce providers using our technologies, credit card companies using our technologies. And then you'd have, you know, quite nicely, we saw other people trying to create similar yeah. digital identity solutions. And, and that was great for, for business. But when you're a small business, you don't have access to a lot of these things. And you are vulnerable, therefore, your smartphones may be, you know, 90% of, and they're connecting to the internet. You've got to make sure that, are you patching those devices? Are they patched? And, and as a small business, when someone connects to your network, you need to be able to, this is why you have um, the IDS, IDPS type solutions, is to um, identify, is that device patched? Mm. that's connecting to your um, network. Usually the, you run a DMZ or yeah. a um, demilitarized zone, sort of separate zone, so that they can connect to the internet, but they can't connect to your databases right. directly. So these are things where your security experts yeah. who will come in and they will talk to you about that and what is the best practice. So if you have, if you believe you have sensitive data, I that's think most important. Has. Some sort of sense. Yeah, but but sometimes it's your IP, it's your whole business, mm. and you know you don't want someone stealing that intellectual property that you've developed for the last ten years, yep. um, and that that being used by a third party and sold on the internet or on the dark web or whichever, mm. and that puts you out of business day one. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscentre.com.au. So we've talked about a few different types of cyber attacks. What do you, what do you think is most common? Um, and I, t to me, it's probably ransomware. Like, I don't know if maybe I watch too many movies, but being locked out and, and you've got a, you know, a demand for a cash payment to be, or a, or a uh, cryptocurrency payment to be made. Um, one, should we pay if it's being demanded? And two, w what are the most common types of cyber attacks? Well, I think both Ted and I agree, you shouldn't pay the ransom. <laughs> yeah. Because I think when you pay the ransom, it, it tells the hackers that one, you've got something of value, Mm. Right and two, you're not prepared. So, so you're, you're making yourself even more of a target. You're you've you've got the money to do it, and you're trying to protect something. Yeah. One of the problems with paying ransom. Look, sometimes ransomware is pay, uh, ransomware um, 
um, threats are paid out. And mm. the reason they're paid out um, is to get that business back up and running. But more, more and more you see so, some cyber criminals who will do a ransomware attack and lock down and encrypt your system. They don't really have the keys. They'll just get the money and, and right. you'll be left, yes. left there. Um, so you've paid them and you're still, you're you're still, still, still locked out. Yeah. Um, the second part is really that you've got to understand, um, you know, last couple of years, you know, part of my job was to um, build these um, authentication solutions, um, digital identity solutions into businesses. But really it was to stop money laundering and human trafficking. So as much as you think that's a ransomware attack and you just paid that money, what they do is then they use that money for somewhere else, mm, criminals. Yeah. And, you know, very nasty things like child labour, human trafficking, uh, money laundering, um, you know, it goes into cryptocurrency. Um, and well, cybercrime's quite, it's a profitable business for them. Bi- and then it's it, funding. It, it funds other things, mm. okay? So, you know, some smart criminals will launder it into stocks, oil yeah. and gas and, and, and cryptocurrency and so forth, mm. and then they'll boost their income. So they'll transition from being really bad to, to um, being legitimate. Um, then you'll see, <laughs> they do. I love it. Um, then you see the other cyber criminal who will use that money for further bad things. You know, they'll launder that money through casinos and so forth. They will launder that money into um, trafficking uh, people around the planet, mm. um, which is a very, very nasty thing. And it, in modern day, that happens every day. Yep. Mm. And, um, you know, and you find that the, it's a big vicious circle. So the smallest of crimes, which is maybe, you know, once upon a time you would say that, that petty thief who turns into a cyber thief, who then turns into a, a more of a corporate criminal, who then turns into uh, money laundering, trafficking, um, turning, you know, buying uh, stocks in companies, which then can really affect economies. Mm. So there's there's a lot of use cases that the bad guys undertake, but even that smallest little cyber crime in your smallest little business, who you think you know, it doesn't really count, can sometimes um, affect a lot of other yeah. uh, supply chain or things down the track. So, yeah. I mean, that's ransomware, and I think that's because it's in the news. Mm. But what I see is there's a lot of malware, there's a lot of um, what they call bots, you put a herd of botnets, you know, people getting their computers taken over by machines. Mach- other machines. Yeah. So yeah. they have these very big, so cyber criminals have a very large network of computers that they can call on and create attacks and use it to denial of service and, and those sorts of attacks. You know, so malware happens, and it can happen if you just go to the wrong website. They can straight away click on the link, nothing happened. Oh, I clicked on that link, nothing happened. Oh, but actually there was a remote access Trojan put on there, so people can actually now get into your network and have a look. So they've actually used your computer as a as a as a access station, if you like, to get on and start exploring the network and find. So what can they do in there? Access all of your files. Access well, what they do everything remotely. To. It's doing it remotely, and they're mm. looking and they're searching for the family jewels. They're looking for the valuable assets that the you keys. have. The keys. Yep. So they can say, "Oh, there's a database there that's got pretty poor uh, security. Let's get the data off that. It's gone. You know, they'll just copy it. It's gone. 
So what about those, you know, I mean, again, maybe it's just too many TV shows, but those, uh, to me, you know, you get a virus clicking on a dodgy link or downloading something or something and, and it just results in lots of pop-ups. I mean, what do they even get out of this? You know, uh, well, that, you know, it's all about information. Yeah. So espionage information, it may be estate-based, it may be corporates, other corporates for an espionage piece or a, another state foreign entity. It's it's not necessarily the the kids in the back rooms. Mm. Um, there's very professional groups today that can uh, do these attacks. I mean, arguably, the people on on um, the beef industry attack recently here in Australia. You know, they were very sophisticated crime gang based in Russia, mm. and they would they decided to bring down a very large firm which processes our our um, meat uh, that we export overseas and processes it here locally. They can be anything from, so the pop-ups and things probably were more in our yeah. earlier days. The, the, they were the joke, if you like. They were the joke. Right. Um, but, but the reality of it is um, there is an outcome. People want money, you know, there's, or it may be a, someone's resentful and this you know attacks can happen internally mm. where you have an employee who who um, goes rogue within the business um, and you need to protect against and we talked about the internal checks and balances to make sure that um, you know employees don't go rogue and open up doors or do attacks on on the staff or do nefarious uh, activities mm. either knowingly or unknowingly, unknowingly. yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so there's, there's those things to look out for, but look, it's always, you know, the more and more you'll see about this on TV, read in the paper every day, you know, the high profile ones are the ones that are asking for millions and, and so forth, yep. um, tens of millions. Mm. Um, they're bringing down utilities. What scares me the most is that, you know, by taking out that little small business over there and they take out 10 small businesses, they may be able to also take out a bigger business such as a utility. Correct. Or they take out the defence department mm. or you can't get the aircraft off the ground to fight a war. Um, should, should it get to that sort of level? So, you know... Right, I mean, everything's connected to our internet, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we yeah. rely on it. Just take... Turn your phone off for a week on your computer for a week. Yep. Try it. I don't know that I'm ready to try it. Yeah, just you, try it. You concern me with what you say, but I don't know if I'm ready to go without it. Yeah. But, it but it was interesting. Um, there are other countries around the world who have disconnected their whole country mm. from the World Wide Web. And it was like a DR, disaster recovery. How would that country operate without being connected to the World Correct, Wide yeah. Web? I mean, I'd like to see that happen here in Australia. Know, how would we operate as a country? What does that look if like? We like an internal yeah. internet, but for the yeah, yeah. localised, basically. Yeah. 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 And we used to do that. There was a thing called RNET between the universities yes. way back in the early days. And that's how the universities communicated before there was the World Wide Web. It still exists. Because the, the World Wide day. Web's relatively new, right? I mean, it's 97? No, not maybe? Even, maybe 94. <laughs> 93, 94. Yeah. No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm only born in 92, so I, mean, I don't even know a world without the internet. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I got my first ever computer. I, I thought the internet was going to take off, and that was at school in, in Burke, 
and uh, we got a, the first ever apples uh, yeah. were sent to us at the school. And I think there were six of them that sat in the maths department. Which they and you all lined up and there was a class on um, programming. So that those days, and then my phone number uh, was a Morse code. Yeah. And it was a party line out yep. in the bush. That's right. And so I went from the party line Morse code to a little Apple computer at school to realising that this is big. It's a bit like your, yeah. your earlier story. Yeah. We have to learn to, to, yes, use the internet. Yes, it's about speed. Mm. Business is speed. How quick you could um, make a transaction. The more yep. transactions, the better. How to scale all those sort of things. But it's also about what happens if you don't have the internet? Are you able to still operate as a business? Mm. And what happens there is that's where it comes back to our uh, backups and disaster recovery and our ability to keep that data secure, encrypted, in a way that we can go back to that data to the point before the problem happened. So to, to wrap up, make a plan, get advice, do the backups, review, revise the plan. Yes. David, Ted, thank you so much for joining us to talk about these important issues for small and medium businesses. I'd like to recommend the Business Connect program, which is a dedicated program funded by the New South Wales government and delivered through a network of independent service providers to help you start or grow your small business. If you would like a business advisory session subsidised by the New South Wales government under the Business Connect program, you can call 1300 134 359 or email contact at treasury.nsw.gov.au. If you'd like to get in touch with David about cybersecurity for your business, again, please email the Business Centre and we'll pass on those details for you. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please review and rate us through iTunes and follow and share on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at the Business Centre.